Welcome to another edition of the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, sponsored by Buzz and Sounds Recording Studio. My name is Matthew Turner. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm joined, as ever, for our review pods by Aaron Fletcher and Anthony Fitzpatrick. How are you doing, boys? Doing what every Detroit Lions fan does just as you're rolling into December now, starting to uh, look at next year's draft. Um, I, I've done, I've started what most Detroit Lions fans have been doing all year. Um, got my beers in and I've started drinking, so. Yeah, I'm not sure I've sobered up yet, if I'm honest. And, you know, there we go. I mean... It was 25 points better than Sunday, but that's not much consolation, if I'm honest. Right, we're going to do a little bit of news, and there's not much, as you can imagine, since our last pod. And then we're going to go straight into the review of Texans at Lions. So to start off, a couple of in-game injuries to report. Danny Shelton and Desmond Trufant. No word on either of them yet for next week, but they both didn't look particularly good. I think both returned in the game at some point, but... I would be doubtful as to whether they might be able to play next week. We'll see. Uh, In other news, front office has not yet been fired, which to me is a bit of a travesty at this point. I don't think you can go through getting no points and then beating at home on Thanksgiving, especially given when other coaches have been fired in the past for the Lions. It seemed like it was an appropriate time to go now, Uh, especially given the photo that every Lions fan has seen of uh, Sheila, head in hands, watching... What's happening? Boys, you've seen it. Did you read it like I did? Or was it just a pure emotional, oh, God? Um, It's... I think she knows what she's got to do. Uh, She knows what's coming up. Um, I think... You know, I'm not going to read too much into it overall. That's... We don't know enough about Sheila at the moment to know what's going through her head when she does that. We don't know how quick she is to jump. We don't know. Um, yeah, we just don't know quite how fired how fired up she is um, on those sort of things. Hopefully in a couple of years, the more we hear off her, the more we see off her and the more involvement she has kind of in the forefront, we'll understand that a bit more. Um but, you know, I think there are a lot of people reading it like she knows she's got to uh, fire someone in the next couple of days. But, you know, you could also just look at it, like you say, as, as just general frustration. What the hell am I watching kind of thing. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what that really meant over the next few days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you say the coming days, but I feel like if it's not happening now, then it's the end of the season. It can't get any worse than here. Um, So for me, it was until we were mathematically out of it, and I'm pretty sure nine and seven isn't going to get there. So I think if you have 10 days till the next game, I think people just need to trust her. They need to stop labeling her with a mother's reputation. Um, 
she might be well behind the scenes now sorting something out. They might not want to fire him until they've got replacements in mind already. So I'd just give her time that, you know, the week is young. It's what, nine, ten days till the next game. So, you know, give her at least a little while to be able to uh, put her own print on the club. Yeah, but I also think as well, like today, it's ten day, there's ten days till the next game. This is Thanksgiving Day weekend. Um, I'm not... I, by Sunday, we'll know. He won't, if he's not going to uh, be the head coach by uh, gets right against the Bears, then we'll know by Sunday because he won't go into next week as the head coach. So I think today is not necessarily the be-all or end-all. This weekend is. Sunday, we'll know. Um, by Sunday, sorry, we'll know. that It could still come tomorrow. It could still come on Sunday. Um, because, to be honest, um, I, I don't. I, I believe his contract's up at the end of the year, but I'm not sure if he does have another year on at the end of it as a contract. No, he doesn't. Um, so at least you're not having to sort out payouts and how you're paying him off. Um, and also, she, she's got to sit there and think if, if at the moment, who's going to go first? If, if if there are two people whose jobs are going to go, you know, is is she going to look to get rid of Quinn first and keep Patricia? Um, I did a little bit of research the other day. Everyone knows my position on mid-season sackings, um, mid-season mid-season firings, and again, like I'm saying, it's not me saying I want Patricia to stay. It's just the, the position I, I'm in for. The, my, my position on the matter itself but you know there's also there is absolutely no rule in the NFL like I say I researched this a few days ago and um, what the rules and regulations are around hiring new coaches um, and new coaches that let's face it if there's any head coach we want they will be in a job right now um, at least right now and where, where, let's say whether they're willing to leave at the end of the year or not is a different matter Um and what the rules and regulations are. There are zero, and I mean absolutely zero rule, rules or regulations in even making inquire, actual genuine inquiries and ringing up other teams and speaking to the initial coaches that you might want and say, look, would you be up for an interview with us? There are no rules against it while you've still got a head coach. So, you know, Matt Patricia being here doesn't mean that they're already planning for the next head coach either because they can still be making those phone calls and making those, those inroads. So I know it's easier said than done for people like us, but I'm going to sit here and just say I trust what Sheila's doing at the moment. I trust. Um, I'm, I'm going to try and put. I'm going to put my trust in that she knows what she's doing. Um, and Matt Patricia still being here right now is not an indictment of the fact that he'll be here next year, or an indictment of the fact that we're not yet looking to the future. I'm going to correct myself then because I just gestured to Aaron that he's not under contract for next year, but he is. And so is Quinn. They're both under contract through 2022. So apologies for shaking my head vigorously there. I felt sure that I'd heard from several people that the contract was running out at the end of the year. And so, you know, it's just going to come to an end. But obviously that's that's incorrect. Anyway. In the next episode, uh, we will be doing a mailbag episode and a general discussion episode. I know that we're probably going to focus a fair amount on head coaching and GM scenarios in terms of future direction, but also maybe a bit on who. So maybe we can put this chat to one side, I think, now and talk about that on Tuesday and focus on the game in hand. Unless anyone has anything more they want to say on that point before we move on? Nope. Nope. All right, let's do it. So... Texans at Lions coming into the game.
there was a very, very long injury list. And fortunately, we had Amani War. Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> Amani Aruwarie starting. Um, however, we didn't have very many corners starting. Um, and we had to elevate a couple from the practice squads. So, you know, that came to the fore later on. In terms of the inactive list, we had... Mike Ford, who was out with a concussion, Deshaun Hand, Jeff Akuda, Kenny Golladay, Danny Amendola, Austin Bryant, and DeAndre Swift. Uh, the Texans inactives were not massive. Uh, the, the biggest one that stands out for me is the wide receiver, Kenny Stills, who obviously wasn't missed given what happened. So moving on to the game, 41-25 in favor of Houston. Uh, it was a perfect start for the Lions. Went up 7-0, stopped Houston twice, and then it all went to shit. I remember saying about four minutes in, wow, this couldn't have gone better so far. And what famous last words they were. Three fumbles and a pick six later. And uh, it's another case of the Lions shooting themselves in the foot. Stafford threw the ball 42 times to Watson's 25, and I think that says it all, really. Um, don't forget as well, halfway through the second quarter, the Lions were up 14-13, which... As an indictment on how many points are scored after that. Um, the Lions did stop Houston's running game. Uh, they only had 77 yards on 23 carries, which is really poor, uh, versus the Lions, who maybe made more yards than they were going to give in the situation. They ran the ball a lot when they were behind, which is an interesting play. 109 yards on 20, 29 carries. Peterson led it, 55 on 15. Carry on 46 for 11. Those stats include a 19-yard run for Peterson. If you take that out, then you're only looking at just under two, uh, three yards a carry, 2.7, 2.8, something like that. Whereas a carry only take out his longest, and you're looking at three and a half. So at the running backs, I think it's pretty clear that carry on was getting a bit more. Um, Jonathan Williams had one carry for five yards, and we all know how that went. What the bloody hell was he doing there? But never mind. Another one that stuck, so a couple of things that stick out for me. Hawkinson led the Lions in receiving 89 yards on five catches. Mohamed Sanu, four catches on four targets, 32 yards and a touchdown. Looked impressive late on in the game when he came in. Will Fuller is obviously the standout man for Houston, 171 yards on six catches and two touchdowns. The other thing, one more thing that stands out, defense, Houston, the leading tackler had 17 total tackles. The next nearest was nine. The leading tackler for Detroit had five. So the leading tackler for Detroit was Jamie Collins. And the 17 tackles, that's including three um, joint tackles, was Tyrell Adams. Um, who's a, a linebacker for them, who's a name I doesn't jump out to me particularly, but he must have had a hell of a game. Um, I don't know about you, but it all seemed like it was going so well. And then after Jonathan Williams fumbled, I knew it in my heart that we were done. How about you guys? And um, Yeah, it was, like you said, start really good. You get up, you stop them twice. And then the pick came, which, talking about this a little bit, I, I don't really blame Stafford too much for that. I think J.J. Watt made an incredible catch there, and I don't think anyone else is making that. He runs it in. 
And as we've seen in pretty much every defeat we've had this season so far, when the momentum starts going against us, you know, we just we have no answer for it. We uh, turn it over on the next one, fumble. We just keep giving the Texans really short fields to work with. And you can't do that to Deshaun Watson. You know, you can't keep giving him possession at halfway or in your own half and expect to not put points on the board. And to be fair, he was, he was the absolute X factor yesterday. I look at that team and I think without him, they'd be bang average slash poor because he, he just... He took the game by the scruff of the neck and gave it the X factor he needed for them. Obviously, Will Fuller had a really good game, but he just burnt our secondary. The secondary were really poor, and a few players we might talk about in a bit in regards to that. And uh, yeah, it's just one of those we we couldn't we we every good thing we did we stopped doing. First quarter, TJ nearly 80 yards in receiving ends the game with 90. You know why the hell he was he was causing havoc in their ranks and we just stopped throwing to him. The run game we started using really well but then we that that drive in the third quarter man I mean it took up nearly half the it took up nearly half the quarter with three scores down and half the quarter's getting taken up because we just run, run, run. There was no urgency in the game. And we kept saying they've got to speed these up because we're running out of time. And lo and behold, you know, we only came away with three points. Big chunkier game gone then. No time to get back in it. They're using quite comfortably. It's just really frustrating to see. Same old stuff again. Coaches not doing their job properly. Mistakes made. Momentum shifts in the game. They they adjusted really well. Started pulling out some good trick plays that completely fooled the hell out of us. And once again, another big defeat. It's It's, it's hard to keep seeing every single week. Nothing's changing at all. And, you know, if nothing's changing, you know, something needs to be done. Um, <clears throat> obviously, I'll give, my, uh, I'll give my overall thoughts. And as Anthony said, there are a couple of plays that I think we'll end up mentioning and a couple of particular parts of the game we'll end up mentioning in a little bit um, and talking about. But, you know, it, it's, it's just so frustrating to watch at the moment. Um. Yes, it was 25 points better in terms of offence, but it was also 21 points worse as far as defence goes. Um, so, you know, that it, it's only four, it, in reality, that's only four points better in the uh, that's a, that's only four points better, better than than Sunday. Um, from start to finish, um, you can't. Sorry, no, not from start to finish. Um, you can't do what we did in those after the touchdown and fumble and turn over the ball three times in a row in any game against anybody. It doesn't matter how good or how bad that team is. You could play the New York Jets, and if you turn the ball over three times, they will beat you. No matter what, it can't be done. Um, the fact that, you know, I know Swift is out. Peterson has moments where he gets success and then has moments where he struggles. Um, and the run game overall wasn't, uh, wasn't bad. But the insistent 
the, the, the insistence that they kept on using Jonathan Williams for a little while, um, and I know they brought him in at, in certain points to, to kind of pass the ball, uh, to, to catch the ball, but the insistence on using him was just baffling at times. Because he was he, he didn't look good. He didn't look good as a receiving back, and he definitely didn't look good as a running back. Part of that might be down to the fact that it's his first first snaps this season, and he's not played yet. But you know, he's our running back four. Um, I don't care particularly at the moment if Swift's injured. I don't want to see the running back four at the moment. Run with what you've got. Run with what you know works, um, and just just. just the insistence on keeping on using him was frustrating. Um, the, the, the fact that, I'm, and I'm, I'm going to kind of jump in on this, um, if you can't tell that for the first time this year, I feel like I'm kind of struggling for words a bit and struggling to find where I'm at with it. Um, the fact that the, the, the interception and the first fumble were both on the first play of the drive, we didn't even get halfway down the field. We didn't even get a couple of drives underneath us and they didn't have time to adjust. They happened on the first play. That says a lot for me. Um, I know that they were given good field position, but they only had three plays for the first touchdown. Then great, amazing. We forced a fumble on their first play on the drive after their touchdown. Um, But then again, they only had five plays on their next touchdown nine plays to get a field goal. Um, and then obviously, uh, end of the half. Then there was a, it only took them six plays to get the touchdown after that in the third quarter. Uh, one play uh, straight after a turnover on downs, it took one play for them to get a touchdown. Um, they, we only forced them to a three and out on basically their last drive of the game without obviously the, when we turned the ball back over and they kneeled three times, um, we forced them into three and out then. Their punter came out uh, twice, three times in the game. First two drives and the last. It's all well and good starting well. And it's all well and good having a great first drive. But we've seen it far too many times this year. That great start means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. I would rather have an awful first quarter but pull it back in the fourth than have a brilliant first quarter and just lose it out from then. Um, again, I, I, I'm struggling for things to say that haven't already been said on regular occasions already this year. I think we all know what we saw. We all know it wasn't good enough. And... I know that we've got a lot of hate towards Stafford at the moment going around some people, but I can't help but be admired when he's covered head to toe in bruises um, and turf burn. <laughs> that, um, and he still stood out there trying to sling and trying to get us back into a game. And there are people out there willing to turn around and call his commitment and call what he, what he gives to this team. It's that's a joke. Um, yeah, I'm going to pass to you that, uh, I'm going to chuck it back there to you, Matthew. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll give some more stats. I'll I'll say a few things, and then maybe we can come back after you've gathered some thoughts. Um, in terms of snap counts, one of the things that stands out for me is Jonathan Williams. He took 21 snaps. That's 26% of the offensive snaps. 
he only rushed once. So I'm not really sure why he's there. I, I don't know what he's doing. He's, he's effectively playing the carry-on Johnson role. And it's like, why? We've got to carry on Johnson. That's what he's there for. Um, I don't know. Uh, tight ends, we used a lot less. So we averaged 1.3 tight ends per play. Uh, Hawkinson was on for 73% of the snaps. Jesse James for 46%. Again, moving away from that formula that actually worked earlier in the year where we were closest to two. Wide receivers, um, Marvin Jones was on for 83%, Hall for 60 Sanu saw 48% of the snaps, Cephas only 30% of the snaps. So, I don't know, I think the, the, the spark, the flame is going out of Cephas a bit. We had such high hopes for him, and after game one, we thought, you know, maybe we've got something here, but he's dropping the ball a lot, and, and that's showing there. All of the offensive line played all of the snaps, Joe Dahl didn't see any activity apart from special teams with Ode Ibushi taking the start. And there was a very impressive block I just got shown by Aaron on Zach Cunningham where he absolutely floors him. So fair play to him. And our O-line held up fairly well. They didn't give up a sack according to PFF. All of the sacks that were suffered were on Stafford himself holding onto the ball too long. Uh, on the defence... Penasini took the majority of the defensive tackle snaps, 79%. That was after Shelton did take an injury midway through, as already mentioned. Uh, another one of the things that just stands out for me, Jelani Tavai, 66% of the snaps. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. You've got Christian Jones taking 57%, Ragland taking 57%, Collins 80 Gerard Davis 32 None for Jalen Reeves-Maven. I'd rather play Jalen Reeves-Maven. I just would. I'd, Jelani Tavai, get what you can now. Trade him. Get him out. He's not good enough. He had an okay day. I think he had a better day than I've seen him have before, but I don't know. Oruwarie played 100% of the snaps. Coleman, 71. Trufant, 48 before he got injured. And we did see Tracy Walker fill in at corner for some of the game. Otherwise, Harmon played 100% of the snaps. Curse, 86%. And Will Harris got the start and 41% of the snaps. So he's finding a way back into it. Um, the secondary was terrible. I mean, we say it game in and game out, and I'm just not sure whether it's that the players are bad, the scheme's bad, it's a combination of both. It's impossible to tell, but in some fashion, it just doesn't work what they're doing. And that was typified by Tracy Walker on the flea flicker, or the not flea flicker, because it wasn't. It was a stretch play from Duke Johnson out to the right, flicked back to to Deshaun Watson and then out to Will Fuller for the touchdown. And I saw what Ant posted on Twitter about the, the dots and you can see how they move. And they're in man-to-man defense. And it's Justin Coleman on Will Fuller on the right of the formation. Will Fuller pulls out to the left of the formation, keeps running. Justin Coleman stays with him for a while, then reacts to the fact that it's a running play, comes up to plug then realises it's actually been flicked back and tries to get there. And to be fair to Coleman, he almost gets there, despite the fact he's got a massive disadvantage to, to where Fuller is. But I, I don't know if that's coached and if, you know, you see it's a run play and you have to react to it and try and plug the gap. And, and you know, maybe as a sort of percentage play, what he did was perhaps best, but he made the wrong decision and it cost us a touchdown. To put it in context, Will Fuller has a passer rating, uh, well, 
when targeted, the quarterback had a passer rating to him, which was perfect, 158.3. Six receptions on seven targets, 171 yards, two touchdowns. All of his six receptions went for first downs. I mean, what more can you say? We just, we absolutely couldn't stop him. Secondary is a big concern now. Um, I think at the start of the season, we were maybe quite optimistic about what we got there. You know, they do got Drew Fontin, meant to be the experienced guy, really good. Um, Akuda, third round draft pick, high hopes for him. Orowarie, we all were hoping was going to have a low key good year. And then at safety, Tracy Walker, he was hoping was going to have a breakout year in there, bringing J. Ron Kirsten, very experienced Harmons there. But I think it's hard to even blame the coaching on some of it now. I mean, looking yesterday, Fuller torched Orowari so many times and Trufant. Trufant has been bust of the year by a long fashion. You know, how we're paying him so much money for such garbage performances, I do not know. And we need to ship him out of here as quick as possible. But the only trouble is with him playing so bad and Coleman being inconsistent, it means we've had to rush in the two younger guys a lot quicker than we anticipated. Akuda's not ready to play you know, 100% snaps yet to, to have a meaningful impact in the game. But we've got no choice at the minute because of injuries. I know he wasn't in yesterday, but it's the same with Oruwari. Oruwari, he's been better. More, he's, he's been better more often than not. But when he has bad games, boy, he has bad games. And obviously, he's not at the consistency to be a starter yet. Safety, I mean, Harmon's been good. I think, you know, I like what I've seen from him this year. I hope we stick with him there. And Kirst has low-key been quite good as well. I think he took a little bit of time to get in there. But but Tracy Walker, no, he's, he's not progressing at all. You know, there's a lot of talent in there, but we're just not seeing it in the long run. And the more I've been thinking of it now, we've been looking at maybe what we're going to use in the draft, where we're going to look at. And I think safety's fast rising up on the uh, list of priorities on there after linebacker and edge, but the, the secondary is a big concern for me. It's You can say that about schemes and everything, but you just look at some of the matchups, the tackling's poor, the speed's poor. They just don't seem ready for elite receivers. Um, so, yeah, that's obviously a big concern. The wide receivers, again, another concern. No Golladay in there. I mean, it was noticeable that our you know, two of the, the two guys who got the most passing yards on our team was our tight end and our running back. You know, no receiver on there in absentum of Kenny Galladay. And there's no one who looks like they're going to be stepping up to that mantle, which makes calls for him to, you know, there's more and more people saying we shouldn't pay him. But, I mean, man, he's, he's, he's your guy. And unless you're going to be forking out in free agency big time, to, uh, to get a replacement in for him, you need to be locking him down front and centre because we need him big time. So the receivers on that point, they were quite disappointing again. Not going to put too much on Cephas. You know, poor guy. He's, the rookies have no had no rookie camps. He's a later he's a later round pick. You know, no rookie camps, no preseason, no nothing. I mean, the droppings are concerned, but this is stuff they can acclimatise to when they're doing all the training. So hopefully next year, you know, he's going to take the steps we require of him. But we we certainly need to sign Kenny up, and we need to sign him yesterday. You know, those are a few of the observations there that I'd uh, I'd pick out. Yeah, yeah. Just to highlight some things. So I we recently subscribed to PFF, as in within the last forty minutes, 
And so I've just been playing around with it a little bit. So I'm looking at coverage versus receivers as we talked about the secondary. So if you have a look at the, the players that had the most targets at them, the players that had three or more targets were Trufon, Oroarie, Coleman, uh, sorry, uh, Collins, and Curse. Curse was the highest, no, Trufon was the highest graded. Three targets, one reception, grade 48.1. Curse, four targets, two receptions, 41.4. Collins and Oroarie, four targets, three and four receptions, respectively, 29.1. Great. I mean, I, I, I don't want to rely on PFF too much because it's more of a with-your-eyes thing than through the stats, but you, you can't get graded that lowly by being good. <laughs> but, but that is coaching, I think. I mean, look at Collins. Collins was been asked to, you know, the matchups they were giving him were ridiculous. It's... Oh, let, let's split out Collins wide right to cover Duke Johnson. That's a good idea. Yeah, but... I mean, there were just so many times when the matchups just didn't make any sense whatsoever. It's like, why the hell are we doing it? It's if we got no one there who can. I know it's. I know the injury to Trufant didn't help. Again, he's injured. You know, you know, not going to have him for his hamstrings gone again. It's, it's bad, and it's just, just, just things like that, isn't it? And plus the touchdown with the bloody fullback and the tight and everyone in there that we just can't defend to save our lives. You know free throw in there you don't get it do you some of these matchups that they come up with no no i am hopeful for the rest of the season that sanu might actually come in and, and do something because he caught everything thrown at him uh he was our second highest graded receiving threat uh just below carry on johnson of all people so carry on have four catches on four targets for 52 yards sanu four of four for 32 uh, i tell you what actually stands out there Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones graded 57.7 because he only caught six of the 12 balls thrown at him. That's not good. I don't know what was happening there. Yeah, he's, it's been a weird season with him, hasn't it? He started off quite cold, but then over the last month, he's been absolutely amazing. And then it's just, again, another one of those where you kind of need him to step up a little bit more and... Like you say, there were a lot of passes that didn't go in there that weren't caught. It's well, I think that's indicative of the whole team. There's been so many drop passes this year; it's unreal. I mean, there were some really easy ones dropped yesterday. It's it, it's really infuriating to see. And imagine if your staff are not happy either. Yeah, so, according to PFF, this is Jones's worst season since 2012, which was his rookie year. Grading 67 at the moment. Uh, his highest ever grade was 2017 with Detroit, 76.3. And looking at this season, he's graded above that once. That was against Washington, 77.2. He had one other grade above 70, which was against Carolina. So like you say, it was uh, an uptick recently for him. And, and we could all see that. Though. He was catching balls, going for long yards. He was getting some separation. But it just didn't. It, I mean, everything went wrong yesterday, really. Yeah, the thing is, he's he's not a lead receiver. He works better, obviously, when there's other guys in there with him, especially when Kenny's in there taking up a lot of the uh, a lot of the coverage, a lot of the attention. That's that's when he's at his best. That's 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 where I'm really with this Kenny Galladay situation. I'm really on the situation. We need to pay him because you just see 
how vital he is to the offense and to everyone else on there. Everyone has their place when he's fit and playing and everyone fits in and does their job. Without him, you know, that structure just completely falls to pieces. And, you know, maybe that's not the most reliable thing for a team going forward in the world, but you need him there. You just do. Yeah, yeah, you do. A couple of things I want to highlight actually now uh, at this point, and it's, it's scared coaching. And I mentioned it before about the, um, the, oh, so it's the decision bot on Twitter, but it's how, how scared uh, a coach is being. So Detroit had fourth and sixth at Houston's 49. There was six minutes to go in the first half. It was 20 to 14 in favor of Houston. Recommendation is a strong go for it at fourth and six, almost at midfield. Um, I called it during the game. I said, I think we need to be going for this, but it wasn't really backed up with any sort of evidence. Um, it just felt right at the time to me. And uh, apparently there's a very strong indication that you should go for it there according to this decision. But uh, we actually punted it and Fox didn't get it within the 20. It was actually a touchback. So even worse than it could have been otherwise. Um, there was also one other play that it suggested that we should have gone for, which was the field goal. So fourth and four at the Houston 11, nine points down, start the start, well, midway through the second half, because that was that long, um, many runs drive that, that was alluded to by Anthony already. And they suggest that it's not as a stronger go for it as the punt I just highlighted before, but still you should go for it there because it gives you a better chance of winning. So, uh, 96% of the time you're going to make the field goal. Apparently 44% of the time you make it a four and four. If you succeed, you're going to win the game 28% of the time. Whereas if you make the field goal, you're only winning 17% of the time. So, I mean. It's indicative of his reign here, isn't it? I mean, when you come to cowardly choices, cowardly coaching choices, there's at least half a dozen that immediately spring to mind for me of times when he's just always bottled it. And especially with his job on the line, it's like, well, why not? It's not going to get you any worse. You know, you're nearly out of a job here, so why don't you go for it? But even still now, he sticks to... I mean, the punt one, I mean, that was weird because usually I always call for those to be aggressive things and even I didn't think that was a bad call but you know we flipped on that one but that's just one more thing to him he's a really scared coach he's a really negative coach I mean the thing for me is that I think he still thinks he's coach of the Patriots because if I said to you it's the mark of a man who trusts his defense that he thinks you're going to put points on the board and put them in downfield position you're going to make a stop and you're going to get the ball back and have another chance that per- makes perfect sense. You look at a Patriots defense, they feel like they can stop anyone at any time. It's not quite as good this year, but it's still a very, very good defense. And if you've got trust in them, you can make those cowardly decisions because you know you're going to give your offense another chance. But the way our defense has played, it necessitates taking more risks on offense because you know that defense can't stop anyone. The fact that he's this cowardly is so much worse because when you look at these cowardly indexes, they're not factoring how good your defense is. This is taking the average defense, what's happening, but we don't have the average defense. So it means you should take more risks. And you've got a clutch quarterback as well. If anyone's going to do it under pressure, 
Matthew Stafford is. So why not just say to him, I trust you to go and win this or keep us in it. We all say it. We all know it. You've seen what he's like under pressure. And that's, yeah, that's just what makes him so cowardly in his job. I'm just looking through some of these PFF grades as well, just to see something quite cool coming out of it. And our O-line has been a highlight of the season so far. It wasn't last week. But coming into this game, having a look at the stats, we did have an elite player on, on a pass blocking. Uh, Taylor Decker, 87.9 in pass blocking. Alongside Jonathan Williams, 80.7, which I wouldn't have expected, but maybe that was why he was in so often. Other people who pass block very well, all above 70. Jesse James, Adrian Peterson, Frank Ragnow, TJ Hawkinson. For everything that we've said about him and, and Ant mentioned that he's not a blocking tight end, above 70 in both the pass and the run blocking. So, you know, small positive there. On the flip side of that, very poor pass or, or medium to poor pass blocking, Kerry on Johnson, 62. Tyrell Crosby, 60. Jonah Jackson, 58. Odea Bushi, 49. I didn't see that at the tape, but that right-hand side of the line, Abushi, Crosby, not performing that great. Surprises me. Um, the left-hand side of the line, Decker, Ragnall, solid, as you'd expect. All oh, right. Um, let's have a look at some of the other PFF grades as a sort of Overview. Uh, oh, sorry. You go, Aaron. I'm sorry. Um, I want to bring it back, though, as well. And, um, what, uh, one thing that I found that was different about this game than any others, what we've been saying, and I know it's a bit of a cop-out, but we really struggle against the effective throwers. The, um, mm. the, what, the, the You know, you look at how Alex Smith did us, you look at how Breeze did us, you look at how... Um, Kyla Murray didn't. Um, look at how Gardner Minshew didn't. You, we're looking at... And what we found usually is it, it, it's the gunslingers that, that don't tend to affect us. And that has generally been because our secondary in terms of safeties and the cornerbacks, especially when dropping deep into zone have been good, if not great. We got battered by the deep pass. We got absolutely... I have not seen numbers this year for a quarterback facing the Detroit Lions that beat us like this. Um, Deshaun, Deshaun Watson only threw two passes behind the line of scrimmage. He completed one, and that was a four-yard loss. Um, he only threw 11 passes between one and ten, uh, between the line of scrimmage and 10 yards. And he made, okay, he made eight out of those 11, and one of those was a touchdown to the right-hand side. He was either average or above average, in his passer rating, um, or in his quarterback performance, uh, between one and ten. But this is where it gets me a little bit. The ten yards above, 
he could he threw he, he threw five passes between ten and twenty. Now bear in mind that he only threw twenty five passes throughout the game. Matthew Stafford completed more passes than Deshaun Watson threw. He only threw twenty five times in the game. He threw five between ten and twenty. He landed all five including one touchdown to the left, which ended up going for 34 yards. 20 yards plus, he threw five times again and landed uh, three out of those five, including two touchdowns, which were deep left um, for 73, which which both ended up being uh, accumulating 73 yards. Out of the 12 different spots so you've got left center right then you've got behind line of scrimmage line of scrimmage to 10 10 to 20 and 20 plus he was only below average behind the line of scrimmage and deep right everywhere he was only average uh center line of scrimmage in 10 yards all up the left deep middle and up the right, uh, Deshaun Watson was above average compared to both quarterbacks in that, in those throwing into those zones. Compare that to Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford was above average in three of those 12 zones. Two out of his three above average stats were behind the line of scrimmage. He threw seven times behind the line of scrimmage, caught uh, all seven were caught. Uh, for a total accumulated uh, 62 yards, which, fair enough. And I know that Kerryon Johnson swallowed up a fair few of those, particularly to the left-hand side, and he was getting good yards after carry. And I think there was that one where we we had that little debate over whether he stretched his arm out and did he just quite make it over the first down and he rolled it for um, one yard short. The other bit where he was above average was 10 to 20 yards to the right-hand side. So obviously medium, medium right, two out of three for 30 yards and one touchdown. Um, And that would have been the touchdown to uh, Mohamed Sanu. Everywhere else, um, he was below average. In fact, no, he was average on three as well, actually. Just in front of him, uh, just in front of him, just in front of him to the right. And then deep right, where he um, he was really effective, actually, um, between zero and ten yards, where he threw uh, Stafford threw seventeen completions off twenty one attempts, but also an interception in that. If there wasn't that interception, he'd be uh, uh, he'd have very very good stats in that general area, but. Actually, one thing that shocks me, not shocks me a little bit, but this is somewhere where as a right-handed quarterback, now Stafford can throw anywhere and we've seen him throw anywhere at any given time and he will make it. But Stafford, one thing I like about him is when he pulls out, opens his body up and he looks left and throws generally deep left, you can almost guarantee that is a dime of a pass. To the right-hand side, not as much, but to the left-hand side, Stafford is almost 
just elite. Um, and previous stats prove that. Between 10, uh, from 10 yards plus, Stafford from centre to left completed one pass out of eight. One out of eight. Um, and I think that says everything about the way that this game's flipped. We have been not so great at throwing the... Um, we, re- we just haven't been very good at throwing the um, effective short passes, short gain. Yes, we throw around there a lot and we've got... But Stafford is normally average around there. He was above average this week. But Stafford, normally golden from 10 yards plus, definitely normally from 20 yards plus, was not great. We had little to no deep threat all game. And that is where we missed Kenny Galladay. That is where... And I just want to back this up, sorry, by by bringing in this one thing. We only had... And everyone knows how much I like this stat. We only had one receiver who was getting below average separation. And that was Marvin Jones. TJ Hawkinson was averaging 4.67 yards and Quinton Cephas was averaging 4.15. So we were getting the receptions and we were getting decent, uh, sorry, we were getting decent separation. Again, we've spoke a lot about um, how the secondary has been poor and our cornerbacks, our OIVA got burned on many uh, occasions. Jeff Okuda got burned on many occasions. Desmond Trufant, I don't know what the hell he's doing anymore. But, Three out of their five leading receivers were below average separation. And they were not getting much separation at all. Um, again, with the, with the run game, apart from up between the centre and the right guard, so you're looking at um, Ragnar and Vitae, in between there... Duke Johnson had five yards, 20, uh, 22 yards of five attempts. Deshaun Watson had one yard, tw- uh, one attempt, 12 yards. Um, Procise had three attempts and 10 yards. Other than that, they were awful. They were averaging two, three, four, two or three yards of carry in wide left, center left, and wide right. So one. Th- um, Sorry, no, I was thinking about the offensive line then. Um, when I was talking about us, that's not true. Um, but between our um, our defensive edge and our defensive tackle to the right side of offense, so our left side, we were awful. We were letting it up, but everywhere else, they had little to no luck on the run. But if you get if you're averaging three yards a run, four yards a run, that's enough for first downs oh, oh, over time. That's enough, or enough to put your quarterback in the position where they're not having to sling it. But the problem is Deshaun Watson can sling it whenever he wants to. Um, we, we had a lot better success on the run, uh, a lot better between... Uh, and you've mentioned about our le- the left side of our offensive line and how good they were at run blocking. Adrian Peterson between centre and tackle. Um, so you talk obviously we're talking Decker and um Ragnow. Decker and Ragnow, yeah. Um 
you're talking five attempts, 36 yards and a touchdown for Peterson, 7.2 yards a carry. Um, okay, carry on Johnson, not so much, but between centre and right, um, so between Ragnow and uh, Tyrell Crosby or Rodi Abushi, you're talking five attempts and 30 yards, six yards a carry. And obviously we know the Stafford, uh, Stafford run. And again, what I'm seeing is we've got players who are kind of doing what they need to do. Kind of. But it's not working. And I don't know where. Um, and I, I don't know where this is coming from, but for some reason, we're getting separation on offense and we're not allowing that much uh, separation on defense. For some reason, uh, the, on, the only stat really that's changed on that front is, believe it or not, for how good our own line was, and um, their pass rush was getting quite quite close to the quarterback. For the first week in a long time, Romeo Aquara got virtually no, uh, was nowhere near the quarterback. Um, but that's the, only, that's the only area in which actually this week we didn't do very well, was getting near the quarterback doesn't help when, again, you've got someone like Deshaun Watson, who, who, if you give him a couple of seconds, he, he's got a sling in him. Um, and a credit to their offensive line, who clearly got separation for them um, and protected Deshaun Watson well. But they were, they were in, according to stats, and again, I said um, last week, stats aren't everything. Stats aren't the be-all or end-all. But we are doing things right. There are things being done that is not awful. But what I, I am really getting tired of seeing is receivers, uh, opposition receivers, catching the ball with two, two or three defenders round them because clearly separation means nothing anymore. Yeah. yeah um, Kenny Golladay shows that, doesn't he? You don't need separation to make good plays. Just... It comes down to basing at the end of the day. It comes down to coaching, putting all those stats aside. You've got to look at coaching. The Texans identified the weak spot in our area, which is the secondary. And they just gave Deshaun Watson plenty of plays where he could throw it and torch that secondary. And that's all they needed to do. You know, he was averaging about 18 yards a pass. They identified that and they went for it. They identified our strong area, which is Stafford's big arm. And they didn't allow him one pass in eight, one pass out of eight. They just kept him shut down and they made us just use loads of short passes over the top, which killed clock. Six, seven yards. We did so many of those whilst doing the running game. It was unreal. They identified that. They know Patricia can't game manage. They know that, you know, Stafford's best when he's throwing long and they shut that game down. It's all down to the coaching. You know, they identified the weak spots. And they exploited them, and we didn't. And yet, not... Well, I would say not all of this loss can be put on the coaching, but actually, I don't think much of this loss can be put on the coaching. I think over the season, you can say absolutely it comes down to the coaching. But today, the fumbles, the pick six, I don't think any of that you can put on the coach. And I think if you take those away, and those aspects actually where we've been fairly good at not fumbling... I don't know, Stafford's throwing a few pick sixes, but if you take those turnovers away, I don't know, it's hard to do that. But if you do, I don't think we lose this game. I think we've stayed in this game enough, especially, you know, half through the second quarter, we're still in the lead, despite everything that happened up to that point. I'm convinced we win this game. And so actually, I think this one is mainly on the players. And that doesn't mean I don't think that, it, you know, the whole season 
therefore is saved and we should keep Patricia. No, Patricia needs to go. But for this one, it's on, it's on Stafford, it's on Carrion, it's on um, Williams, and also Kabinda not converting on fourth and one. Uh, there is, but you've got to look at those drives. We spent nearly eight minutes when we were 14 down, just slowly nerdling our way up the pitch. We're making very short passes. You know, we're not even trying to get to the outside. They're short passes down the middle. They eat clock. The play calls are decided by the coaches on the side, and they should have realized that. They need to get a hurry up. We, we got too far behind at the end of the day. And, yeah, and, and I know what you mean. It is, I'm not saying it's not on the players, but I'm saying look at Romeo Cronell. He identified the weak spot in our areas, and he gave Deshaun Watson the plays to exploit them. They absolutely ruined us where we were weakest. Yet we all know Stafford's long game is where he's at his best as well. And they gave us nothing. We didn't dial up anything. The few times we did, the flea flicker worked. I think it did the flea flicker work. And then we nearly worked from the throw to Stafford, which we've debated about whether it was a drop or not. But, you know, those were two times. We made some serious yardage on those when we dialed it up and worked to his strengths. Why the hell didn't we do that even more? Why did we were just happy to get six or seven yards over the top and kill another 30 seconds? That, for me, is all on the coaching. And, yes, we can't blame it on the turnovers as well, but that second half especially was piss poor. Really was. And I think you look at... That last, one of those last drives, um, I think it was the one before, no, I don't, I, actually, I'm not 100% sure, but it might have been the one before we got the touchdown and we were just inside the fourth quarter. Um, I'd say, no, it probably wasn't even that. Um, I think it was the one where we turned it over and downs and we only got nine plays and 20 yards um, with three or so minutes to go and we turned it over Um with about one minute 14, uh, one minute 15 to go, uh, 45 even. And you sat there going, right, it's 41-25. It's a 16-point game. You've got to start that drive, three minutes 53. We know that Stafford can get it down 75 yards in less than a minute. We've got three, I believe it was two timeouts because of the, challenge that Patricia made on Stafford's on, on, on the Philly special or whatever it was to put out left to Stafford. Um, yeah, we've got three minutes, 53, two timeouts. It's within five minutes. So, and then I think I can remember as I stood there going, we get this down quick. We move quick. We give them the ball. Our defense makes one big stop again, easier said than done at times, but our defense defense makes one big stop after a two point conversion. We're eight points away with what could be about a minute and a half to go in this game. The game is, it feels over in one way, but we know what this team's capable of and how quickly we can move. And they kept throwing it inside down the middle. And I remember—I I think I can specifically remember you wanted to turn him round and just saying, why are you throwing it in the middle? Um, and feeling the same, I'm like, get it out, run out, run out the sidelines, manage the game, manage the clock, two timeouts, see what we can do and try and save those two timeouts for a final drive. And then... We didn't. And I want to jump back, actually, by the way, onto, onto one other 
Um, what, what the play that we've already mentioned, and this is something I spoke about at the beginning. I was going to chime in before, but you guys had a great conversation going on about the um, the stretch play, flea flicker. Um, I personally think that at the time watching the game, I thought that was completely, um, completely on the spot, completely made up. It was just like a why not, why not, why not try it? I now start to think actually that might be that might have been meant but sold really well. I'm not going to take away from the Texans. I can't take away from the Texans that either way, no matter what that is, that play worked and it was brilliant. Fair play to the guys. Give them all a biscuit. Give them all a good cup of tea, a pat on the back and read them a bedtime story that night. They've earned it. But what I found there was, and again, with you watch the dots and I ended up, I watched that, I watched the video with the dots and then I went back and I watched the play again. Hurt a bit to watch. But what's really pissing me off at the moment is Jelani Tavai and how on every single occasion I watch him in a play, he doesn't know whether to come in and block and, uh, and plug gaps or drop back and cover. And every single time I seem to have my eyes on him he stands in the middle and does nothing, and it's worse than doing either, even if it was the wrong one. It's worse. And effectively, and I know we talk about how there have been plays where we've had 10 players on the pitch. Right now, every time we play Tobias, I feel like we've already got 10 on the, 10 on the field. Because I just don't see what Tavai does. I don't see what Tavai is bringing in our... I, 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 would, I would hope that when they get into training, they'd sit there and they'd say, right, the line back, the line, linebackers have been our worst position so far this season by far. Jamie Collins has had his moments. He's been really good. Or he's not been great. He, he seems to have quite a high ceiling in this team. Everybody else has a low ceiling, but a very low floor. But Tavai, for me, has been absolutely by far the down point. And I want to um, kind of challenge Anthony's point on who's been the the weak spot this season. And I feel by far it's probably been to buy. And it's what, what I really want to see, even if it's just from him on one or two plays, just commit, do something. Even if you go to plug the gap and then you get beat over the top of you and, uh, and where, where you should have been covering, you get beat there. At least he's gone to cover. If he dropped back and tried to cover, but where he should have been plugging, someone's gone through. I can take that at the moment. What I can't take is watching him stand there in no man's land going, what the hell do I do? What the hell? And you're missing someone. You, you just, you're missing something. You, you, you're missing one full player on every single play. And that play in, uh, was the biggest one of all because on three separate parts of that play, on the snap, he didn't come in and plug the gap. He didn't. Then as the play stretched round to the right, he kind of, oh, do I kind of follow, do I follow it? Do I go with it? Then started to. The ball got snapped back, obviously brought back to, to Deshaun Watson. And he kind of, you can see him there, kind of go, do I, do I follow him? Do I go for him? He finally commits to going for him. Within half a second of that, Watson's launched it. Um, 
And I, I'm not going to put this all on one player, and it's just a name that I've not mentioned much this year, but it's one that, my God, it's awful to watch. And he, he's awful to watch. But it was a bust of coverage. I mean, yeah, I agree, Tavai's been poor, but I think on that particular play, I wouldn't agree. Yes, he didn't come up, but at the end of the day, he still was blocking the run possibility. If you watch it all... Coleman gives up his coverage of Fuller, which fair enough, you know, it's gone back. They think they're running it, but you look at where he is. And from the moment that ball is tossed back to Watson, he needs to be looking where he is and going for him. He doesn't start moving until the pass is nearly in motion, which is a couple of seconds. He's just stood there watching. And then when he suddenly realizes, oh crap, it's going to Fuller, he gets across and he only gets in by a yard or two. If he sets off earlier, he's got him and that touchdown doesn't happen at all. It was really poor judgment and slow reactions from him there. But I'm not going to disagree with the fact that Tabby's been poor, but he's been part of a poor group at linebacker. You let, you know, Jared Davis, Christian Jones have not been great either there. So, oh, that, you know, he's part let's of not say anything about Jared Davis. Jared Davis has played, he has found his role in the defense and he actually plays it very, very well. He is not good enough to be an every down Mike linebacker, which is what we hoped he would be, but as a, uh, passing down, jack linebacker, blitzing. He's very good at it. And actually, since he's found his niche, he has been good at it. In terms of general linebacking and being someone who needs to be on the field every down, who can do the run and the pass, he's definitely not it. And I agree with you. But He was a first-round pick as well, remember? Oh, we okay. Gave up a that's lot not his there, fault, but... though. Uh, no, no, I know it's not. But I'm saying Tavai's part of a poorer group that said there's a group of them who have not delivered maybe not poor but they've not delivered what we expected of them there but in the case of that single play I don't believe that was Tavai's fault although he is like Aaron says a bit in no man's land but he was providing coverage in a sense but Coleman just completely lost his assignment and didn't pick it up again quick enough which for the guy who's meant to be a senior guy at corner is not acceptable you know, you've, we've got rookies in there who are trying to learn. If the senior guys are making mistakes like that, then what are you going to get from the rest of them? Um, no, I'm not. I'm not putting that play all on Tavai at all. Um, I, I, I get why it comes across that way because I've just kind of let rip on him. Um, I, I completely agree. Coleman. Co- Coleman turns around and, and doesn't know where the frigging hell Will Fuller is. Once Deshaun Watson gets hold of that ball and looks left, he's he's he's, he's wondering where on earth Will Fuller is. Um, Tracy Walker on that play, just not just awful. I'm not putting a pound in the tin for that. Um, no, that you, you you're excused. The, that conversation Walker. needs to happen soon about him. On that play, like many others, awful. Um, there were. Again, I, I, I've got to say to the Texans, and this is this is not an excuse for some of the players, though, but the way they executed, that was almost which, which was perfect. Um, and I, 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 you, you've just got to give it to the Texans. I, by the way I'm talking about this defense, I feel like I'm taking away from what the Texans did. I'm not. I, I can't take away from that. It was brilliant. It was great. But at the same time, and um, when I when I'm speaking, when I'm mentioning Tavai on that, I'd say it's it's not 
specifically an indictment, uh, sorry, a, a blame on him for that specific play. What I'm saying is I saw that what he ended up doing as things kind of started to change in transition was just a complete indecision of what he does next. And at times, and this is, like I said, this is something what I'm, what I'm that I've been seeing throughout this season. And it was just in one play, there was like three lots of indecision. And even if he'd have just totally 100% committed and ran at Duke Johnson and gone to cover over there and completely left that side of the field open... Well, maybe that happens and I'm sat there going, you shouldn't have ran uncovered. Um, we, we've got the benefit, like you we've got the benefit of hindsight in these positions. But that indecision is something I've seen a lot. And I saw it three times in the space of about six or seven seconds. And it's something that I believe at this point is now synonymous with Tavai. And again, like I say, he could do it wrong. And in my head, in this hindsight that I've got going on at the moment, I'm saying... Um, even if he he makes the wrong decision, at least he makes a decision. And I know that he's capable of making a decision. But I don't want to see him jogging uh, half a mile an hour, wondering wondering what on earth, where he's going next. Um, And that was just kind of, that's where where I'm going with that. I'm not blaming him solely for that miss. Uh, Sorry, for for that play. I'm just, I, I, I've been rather, dis- I've just rather disappointed with him, and it was a a, a true Tavai moment. No, you raise you raise a legitimate point about him. I just think in the context of that play, it, that that wasn't his fault on there. But it's not um, saying anything about the analysis of him. He's been he's been really poor, and I know we were all a bit well. We didn't know each other when we did the draft, when we drafted him, but certainly I was like, oh my God, what have we done? He's he's not a second round projected pick here. He's going to have so much pressure on him because obviously Bob Quinn's high draft picks are all under some really, really serious scrutiny um, with, uh, you know, with good reason. But I mean, speaking of which, I, I don't know, did we mention about TJ and his... Uh, possible getting into the Pro Bowl team for the NFC. Uh, I mean, just look at what a 12 months he's had. I mean, I know Akuda didn't play, but you've seen all the criticism of him. Everyone's saying he's a bust, and I've made a big thing about this. Look at where TJ was 12 months ago. Yeah. He was dropping catches. He wasn't having a great season. He was injured constantly. 12 months later, you can make a case. He's easily a top five tight end in the entire league. He's catching's better. You saw what an impact he had at the start of this game yesterday. Um, he's he's going to be amazing for us. I think in a couple of years, he's going to be as good as Kittle. So for those having a snap at Akuda as well, I'd uh, I'd say give it 12 months and wait to see where he is. But in terms of Tavai, he's one of the reasons why Bob Quinn's draft picks are so easily maligned. I think they're... But, I mean, the defense in general is just... There's been a lot of problems there this year. Tackling's yeah. poor coverage is poor sometimes it's, it's really frustrating especially as we have a defensive guru in charge which is why on those trick plays and everything it's like why are your defenders not more alert they should yeah. um, and on, on to kind of follow on from that Akuda and, and Hawkinson point um, what, what, what did we see with Hawkinson in the 
in the summer when he returned to camp and everyone turned around and you saw that first pitch, everyone went, whoa, he's worked out. Um, he's done a lot of working out. Um, I think even, even myself sat there and went, he's looking a little bit tasty this year. Um, he, looks, he looks good. Um, but what he did was he, he had a first year in the NFL. He had not a great year in the NFL. Then clearly what he's done is he's, he's finished the season He's left and gone. I, I, now, I don't know what the literal next step was. I imagine a holiday. Probably not going to get that so far this year. Um, Re- rehab, wasn't it? Um, I think he was injured for a while, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you, you look at plays like that and he goes, right. And he he's obviously gone out, probably watched a lot of film. I would imagine that he'd have watched some film. He, I know that most players in those positions, they get personal trainers. They still get members of the Lions or the the, back, the, the training staff to spend a bit of time with them in the off-season to make sure they're keeping up shape, make sure they're not eating too many doner kebabs. Um, unless, you're a, unless you're a lineman, then eat as many as you want. Um, but, you know, they're, 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 sat there with, they're sat there with them and making sure. And he's watching film and he's going, right, I'm dropping passes. What can I do to work on that? I've, he struggled as a blocker last year. What can he do on that? He made himself tougher. As he worked, as it worked in his catching, worked, in his, worked on his, um, his physicality and his athleticism. So he's gone away and looked at the, say, I'd say probably the three most important parts of his game that he didn't perform at. And straight away, the second he walked in, to Allen Park in the first day of first day preparing for the season, you went. He's worked. You could tell straight away he's worked on it. He's worked on his physicality. He worked on his athleticism. He looked like a tight end. He looked yeah. like a real tight end, and that's what I want to see from Akuda. Because the the thing is, we put. I'd say a lot about how cornerback is probably the hardest position to transition to from the NFL. In college, you're playing one, maybe two NFL wide receivers a year. In the, in the NFL, well, every single player you come up against is an NFL wide receiver. But it's the same with, you know, you look at someone like Cockinson, the, the players you are coming up against are not necessarily um, NF, you're not coming up against NFL quality players all the time. It's very rare, if that, that you do come up against an NFL quality player. Um, and I know he's a tight end, so he's more, more, more than likely coming up against your. Uh, the linebackers, etc. But Jeff Okuda, he needs to go away this year, turn around and do similar to what TJ Hawkinson's done. Watch film. Where did he get wrong? Did, did he struggle with physicality? Get stronger. Did he struggle with his athleticism? Work on your athleticism. Sit there with the trainer, look where you've gone wrong and work at it. From what I've heard about Jeff Okuda, from what I've heard and we've seen in interviews with people that know him and everything like that, I think that's what he's going to do. He seems like someone who wants to work hard, get at it, prove himself. DeAndre Swift did it, admittedly, during the season. He's worked and had it. Um, and this would be where, despite the fact that um, with, with players like Slay, one thing that Slay would have genuinely brought to Akuda right now is, look, I had a bad year first year. Slay wasn't a first-round first, first round pick, wasn't number three overall pick. But at the same time, you'll have Slay there going... I, I didn't have a great year, so we're going to work on this. This is what I'll be working on. This is how we'll do it. And he'll probably go and do private training sessions with someone like that. We need someone like that. Um, right now, don't trust him to do it with Trufant. 
I think he'll <laughs> after what I've seen from True Font so the last few weeks, don't trust him to do it with him. But I think especially though cornerback as well, it's an area where we've not had a leader. We've not had someone like that to to put our arm around it. And I'm not saying we go get an Adrian Peterson for every position. Um, purely as a veteran, he's going to put his arm around the youngins. But you know, I just I I want to see Jeff Akuda. You know, get just give him this, give him this summer. Let him see come back next year, and if he's improved, great. If he's not, then we can start to talk. Maybe throughout next season, but give him a frigging chance to come in, learn, know where we've gone wrong, and try and improve on that. And I don't agree with any of this. He's the third round pick. He has to come in and make an instant impact. He just has to. It's the law. It's not the law. Um. It's just how it goes, unfortunately. And unfortunately for Jeff Akuda, his mental health will be being shot this year. He'll be feeling crappy about himself. But look, off-season's a long time. You've got a lot of months. He's got a lot of time to prepare. And, you know, I, I'll put my trust in the young lad that he'll come back fine and do exactly what TJ Hawkinson did. Learn yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree on that. I mean, one of the reasons why he went so high is for his attitude as much as anything else, everyone said about his professionalism, his drive. I've got no doubt he's going to go away and, and work at those things. But one thing that goes under the radar about him, and I know as a cornerback, you're primarily worrying about the pass, but he is one of our best run defenders in the defense. He's also one of our best tacklers on the defense. In a team that has struggled in tackling, he has been almost elite in tackling. Um, and and that's been good when he's been playing, you know, he's not exactly playing press coverage. So he's having a lot of people having the ball catch it in front of him. And he's not giving up big plays when the ball's been caught in front of him. It's being beat at the line of scrimmage when he's playing press coverage and being beaten over the top where he's really struggling. So, Yeah, and I'm sort of hoping it's, I mean, it's bad to say, you know, he's had a bad season. But in a way, I'm sort of hoping it hardens him up a bit like with Hawkinson because in Hawkinson's first year obviously he's dealing with the memory of Ebron more than anything there's no senior guy in there to teach him he has a really tough year but there's a reason we drafted him as we did and 12 months later he's going to the Pro Bowl he's worked on all his weaknesses he's improved no end and like Aaron said it's just the attitude he's shown has been amazing and you see the same in Akuda and you just hope that well obviously once he has a proper off season as well because let's not forget he doesn't have the benefit of one of those he didn't have the benefit of one of those either and he's been thrown straight in in a poor secondary it's um yeah he just he just needs to, ch to be given the chance to shine there and uh, people need to not be harsh on him and they need to remember TJ for that because for all for all Bob Quinn's faults he might be not going to be here much longer but he's left us with a really good offense for the future he's left us with our running back of the future you know he's left us with who's possibly going to be one of the best tight ends in the future one day an offensive line which is really good you know we we, we will have a lot to thank him for if and when he does depart soon so people just need to take their time with Jeffrey, and in 12 months we'll see the uh, benefits of being patient. Yeah, um, I just wanted to say as well, uh, my last point on Jeff Fakuda. What we looked at um, from him and his his film coming out of college, one of the reasons that, uh, and one of the big things that people spoke about when we got him was he's a good tackler. He he run he ran I think it, 
what was his time in the 40 yard dash? It was about 4.5, 4, 4, 4.48. Sounds um, right. And I believe the average for a cornerback is 4.48. So it's about average speed for a, for a cornerback. But, um, so he, he's not exactly a burner. Um, I know Matt's looking it up now and I'm looking and if I've got this right, I, I'm, I'm going to do a little dance. Um, 4.48. Yeah. Um, I'm just basking my genius. Um, that's that's average speed for a cornerback. So he's not the fastest cornerback, not the slowest. Um, but you know, so we we got him because he can tackle. He's not going to let people get round him. He's going to stand strong. He's going to and he'll bring someone down when he needs to. The problem that we had when we thought when we've got him, this is where we're going to need to work on. He's getting burned, uh, getting burned in man coverage. Because he might, he won't keep. He'll probably not be able to keep up with his man. Um, but but his tackling and his ability to stand strong, not let anyone past him, was just brilliant. And that's why he went so high. That's why he was so sought after. So, you know what what he's been, what we knew he was good at, he's still been good at. What we knew he needed to work on, he still needs to work on. So, like I said, just give. I personally think he needs to he needs to have this summer. He needs to have the option to evaluate himself, see where he's at, come back again, aim to prove himself. And like you say, he's got an attitude that's fantastic. One of the reasons we drafted him. And you know, who we've seen it before though as well. A rookie comes back his second year with a chip on his shoulder because he's not had it, and then does brilliant. That that happens quite a bit. So I'm more than happy if we see it in flashes this year, but next year is truly the hashtag free heifer year. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed on that one. Right. I'm going to draw this to a close because we've got a lot to talk about for our general discussion and mailbag pod on Tuesday. So we're going to dig in a bit more to this sort of thing. Then if you do have any questions for us, please feel free to hit us up on Twitter. We're going to send out a few tweets about that in advance. We've already had a couple of questions. If you want us to talk about it, let us know, especially give us a little bit of time. We'll take a little bit of a deep dive and we'll get back to you on Tuesday for that. So um, that's what's happening on Tuesday. Other thing to mention, we were asked just before the game for Thanksgiving whether we'd like to appear on a domestic tv channel in the uk on channel five so we've submitted some videos fingers crossed we make the final cut but you may see us on sunday morning i think as at 10 30 might be 11 o'clock in the morning on 10 sunday 10 35 and channel we'll, five we won't be doing a watch party for that don't worry guys <laughs> yes um, speaking of watch parties i presume that we're still going to go ahead and do one on sunday despite the fact there's no detroit so if you do want to Watch along with us. It will be 5.30 UK time, 12.30 ET. Otherwise, ask... Oh, Aaron, go. I want to say, ask you on that one. Before before we jump into probably doing uh, play with the game or anything like that, what's the game of choice on Sunday? 6 o'clock, so 1pm. 1, 1 mm. uh, 9.25, 4.25 Eastern. And obviously, we've got you've got the late game that, that's on its own. So just just interesting. I'm sure people out there will be interested to see what we're going to be watching on Sunday. What is your game of choice on Sunday? 
Oh, there's so many good choices. This Steelers. is one of the weeks of the year. Yeah, and don't forget Steelers-Ravens have been pushed back to Tuesday again. Uh, not Tuesday again, sorry. Um, but it's been pushed back to Tuesday, been pushed back again. Um, so that's not happening on Sunday anymore. Um, but we get our own time to watch that on Tuesday. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm watching my main guy at six o'clock, uh, Kyler, playing the Patriots. I think that's going to be a good one. And hopefully he's going to do really well for me in fantasy because I took a beating yesterday and really need to uh, come back on that. Then think after that, it'll probably be... I want to watch the Rams and the 49ers. And then I'm not watching the Bears again on the late one because the Bears are a disgusting football team and I've been burned three times watching them this year already and I'm not doing it again. Yeah. Oh, the pain. The pain there, right? Um, my games will be Tennessee at Indianapolis in the early window and then the late window I will take Kansas City at Tampa Bay. I think that's probably the pick of the games of the weekend, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. There are a couple of games that uh, that are going to be on 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 Sunday, and you they're against bad teams, but you know that they could be low key quite good games because sometimes just two trash teams playing each other is it can be quite entertaining. So I think you've got like the Giants and Bengals game that could be low key quite interesting. Um, however. I did think that a bit, but now Joe Burrow's out for a while. I, th- I, just, I think maybe the Bengals could just absolutely completely fold. Um, but like their offensive line. <laughs> Chargers Buffalo is going to be an incredible game with two young quarterbacks going at it. Um, I think Cleveland Jacksonville could be a good game. Carolina Minnesota is going to be a terrific game. Vegas Atlanta. I mean, oh, so many good games this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think. Chargers Bills might be my favourite, but might be my favourite. Well, sorry, my go-to. But depends how I'm looking at fantasy. Uh, I might just be watching to see my fantasy points at nine oh five. So the five past four game in Eastern. Um, I've got no choice. I've got to watch the Saints because I'll be uh, my missus will be watching that one. But are there any games in that particular window that jump out at you? Rams 49ers and NFC East is uh, East sorry no NFC West is where the good games are this year NFC East are absolutely trash um, Chiefs box stand out though like Brady versus Mahomes it, do, it does but you see those you see those guys quite often I guess but like I said oh, the NFC West games have all been barn burners this year yeah. most of them and you, 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 you're guaranteed a good game out of that the 49ers they really need to win. The Rams, you know, they're pushing for the top of the division as well. There's so much to play for there. Each time they play one another, you get a really good game out of them. And, you know, Tom Brady's just a whiny... Oh, yeah, I was going to say so. A whiny so-and-so, let's say now. I think uh, I think the Chiefs are probably going to have their way with them. Um, oh, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, quick player of the game, boys. I'm not sure there's many choices, but... Aaron? Um... That's a really good question. All right, go Ant then. Uh, oh God, uh, <laughs> I've got, I've got. I want to say TJ, but he did nothing in the second half because I didn't. T- yeah, screw it, Hawkinson. He's for me. It's he, just he's showing his improvement on last year. He's just he's been immensely good, and they just completely stopped throwing to him for whatever reason. But for that reason alone, TJ can have it. Okay, so for me, I'm going to go Mosanu. 
Um, he wasn't really used in the first half at all, but he came in and he caught everything thrown his way and it looked a threat. So, well uh, done. I'll go with carry on Johnson. 98 yards from the line of scrimmage. Um, average, what, 4.2 yards running, 13 yards in the air, 4 for 4 catching, uh, the four, 46 off. 11, 11, 46 yards off 11 carries. I think I've been, he's not setting the world to light, but I've been impressed from what I've seen. He's taken, in general, some of the opportunities that he's been given. And I feel like he was a bright spot. And again, um, I feel like he played, I, I do feel like he played quite well and took the opportunities he was given on Sunday. Fair. I would like to associate myself with those comments. I think, yeah, I, I said that, especially after the game on uh, Sunday, he sort of missed an opportunity there and didn't show, but he did yesterday. And, you know, if that's the carry on, we can see going forward, then there's uh, certainly a place for him next year working with Swift in the backfield. So, yeah. 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 I agree. Despite the fumble, he picked himself up and, and did really well. So can't argue with that. Right. Our socials, be feel free to add us on Facebook, Detroit Lions Fans UK, One Pride Wide on Twitter, ROTL underscore UK, Instagram, ROTL.UK, on the web, RoarOfTheLionsUK.com. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favourite po- uh, podcast provider. Rate us five stars if possible. Uh, any further comments, boys, before we go? Um, the Lions have just tweeted, thank you again to our Kroger hometown hero. And I thought they were saying thank you for... Uh, the Lions want to thank somebody else for their time here. Um, so I really shit myself. Thank you. <laughs> Thinking we could be literally the first podcast to break the news. Um, like, how big would that be? But no, we're not. Ah, disappointment. Anyway, remains for me to thank my co host, Anthony Fitzpatrick, and Aaron Fletcher. I'm Matthew Turner. We will see you Sunday or Tuesday. Until then, let's go, Lions. One pride. One pride. One pride.